This is The Soul's Intent with author, psychologist, and spiritual teacher, Ernie Vecchio. The Soul's Intent is a show that boldly claims that it can help reveal where you are on the spiritual path. Learn how there is a physical place of love, truth, and freedom. Listen, and in an instant, learn that moving to such a place is actually a choice. This is The Soul's Intent, and now here's your host, Ernie Vecchio. We've talked about John Locke before, and I just mentioned him to you as an English philosopher and physician who was who was really very popular in the late 1600s, and he was regarded at in in his particular time as one of the most influential uh, enlightened thinkers. Uh, and the reason why is because this theory of mind is often considered to be the origin of our of our conception, contemporary conception of identity and self. So he was the first philosopher to, to define self as a continuity of consciousness, which I like very much. And so he says in his, his theory that, that the mind is a blank slate and, and maintain that, uh, that we are born without any kind of innate ideas and that whatever we know uh, is determined by our experience that's derived through our senses. And so, as you know, on The Soul's Intent, I've been talking about uh, – how much I like Sam Harris's idea of consciousness, which is that there's a subjective experience to be you or to be me, and that uh, enlightenment would be clarity of that subjective experience. So tonight's show is really talking about how we are not much unlike a piece of clay that is shaped and formed by our experiences, and that we are both the potter in the pot, <laughs> and that the and that the wheel that the pot sits on really is is really our life. So. Does that throw you too much off of uh, what you thought the show was about? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, um, not at all. Mm. Yeah, so so I, I want to talk about some tonight about this idea that um, of this business that we come into the world a clean slate, and 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 really, what is the clean slate? And uh, because in the in the discussion of this. Uh, when Locke first presented this in the 1600s, he was talking about character. He was using words like mind, and he even said that you could author your own soul based upon this logic. And so, therefore, you could follow your nature, whatever your nature was. Uh, so a lot of those terms that, that were brought up in, in the 1600s are very popular today, this business of true nature and this business of uh, of character. Um so what I'm teaching on the soul's intent and what I'm and what I'm telling people about what it means to be a spiritual being having psychological experiences is that you come in to this existence as a feeling animal uh that is then um cut away from uh from the source from the creator which hurts your feelings <laughs> and then as a result of that you develop an angst of separation from the source and uh and so um that is a given we all have to go through that and so the question tonight is is the soul a clean slate uh is the ego a clean slate just what what does that mean to you Irma when you think about that had had you heard of that concept before of clean slate yes yes i have and and i actually have lived most of my life um kind of uh Believing that, yeah, that we do, um, we are born um, as a clean slate, um, but 
my belief and, and understanding and sensing of that was on a soul level, not necessarily an ego level, mm-hmm. um, because it, it, it seemed to me that um, after a certain point in life that um, your environment, your your family, the school system starts writing on that clean slate, mm-hmm. and um, which then takes you further and further away from soul awareness. So that's, yeah, that's I, I how I have thought of a clean slate, yeah. Yeah, like we're a blank piece of paper and, and like every passerby leaves their mark, you know. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Well, I, well, the reason that I that I think that this this fits uh, in, in a spiritual discussion is is the fact that I am um, kind of breaking up these organs of perception that I call the soul, spirit, ego, and heart, and talking about those organs of perception is having very specific kinds of roles and. Uh, in terms of how they interrelate to one another, how they communicate in a symbiotic way. And so when I came back, of course, I studied John Locke in, in, in college. I mean, because you don't do psychology without studying philosophy. But um, um, I, I, I wanted to come back and, and, and rethink this idea of, of clean slate because the only thing that seems to come in uh, uncontaminated and clean uh, is uh, the ego. In, in the sense that the ego is the collector, it's the hard drive, uh, and and because it's put in place as the adaptive component of the experience, it tends to to store all of that. Um, so I'm still kind of playing around with that in my head. So the so the so the ego comes in without any any experience at all, other than being cut away from the source and uh, and has its first feeling reaction to this existence, and then it begins to adapt. And the, and the adaptation takes place around three years of age and just continues to the, to the extent that we become, a, a, um, become animals of adaption rather than feeling beings that we were intended to be in the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. And the soul, uh, when I think of the idea of clean slate of the soul, is, you know, it's kind of like... Um, if if we're a drop of life and all of the uh all of the constructs and all of the um uh, ingredients of life are in that drop then that i think science has kind of said some of that's pre-programmed uh in terms of how life how life begins and how it continues and how and how we grow into human beings so some of that is kind of carved in stone um but as far as the soul having um, or being harmed by our experience, this is something that we're still debating. Uh, hmm. So I don't know. So what do you think as, as we sit here and talk about it? What do you think is uh, uh, hmm. about this business of clean slate and about this idea of soul, spirit, ego, and heart and, and how they come into that experience? Yeah. Well, I'm thinking as as I'm listening to you, um, it's interesting because you're kind of saying that the ego is a clean slate up until a certain point. The ego is, but not necessarily the soul because, and and that makes sense to me because um, even newborn babies, they're all different. 
<laughs> they're mm-hmm. they're all um different they you know how they how they sleep if they cry a lot i mean they're very very different so that would lead me to believe that there is something that um kind of arrives when the soul enters uh, the body so the sl- the soul wouldn't be a clean slate and it makes sense to me that the ego would be well, and I, I think I think it'd probably be more clear to say that the ego is the only slate, <laughs> because it is. Mm, yeah. It, it, because it's really the only aspect that's recording. Now we certainly have patterns of thought that become uh, that once they become patterns, they become imprinted in, uh, on the brain in some particular way uh, that are then charged by specific uh, emotions. Uh, so we do have certain patterns which you know a behavior and thought any any emoting that we tend to call psychopathology or disorder or whatever uh, and that's only if it's in the extreme uh, but um but yeah i think that i think that the soul comes in as is a life force and and it is pure in and its integrity is really built into the fact that it it what you see is what you get. In other words, what you experience mm-hmm. of it, of its animation, is is it. You know, uh, the problem mm-hmm. is we don't we don't think of it that way. We don't think of the soul first of all as is that aspect that animates us, let alone that it has intelligence that's organizing and orchestrating our lives. The human spirit, which is the feeling reaction to the immediate moment, uh, comes in. Uh, Naive, certainly, because it hasn't had uh, any way to contextually understand feelings, and then its first feeling is getting cut away. Uh, but it doesn't have language to frame it, so at this point, there is no, there's no way to to qualify whether or not, uh, you know, what what kind of impact that has until until later. But then, as soon as we get language and we and then we start to kind of uh, analyze and give uh, give station to our thoughts as being real, and to, and and even worse, giving our beliefs uh, station as being real. Then um, then it all kind of changes. So mm-hmm. I guess I wanted to talk about it tonight in in this particular way because character is really what John Locke was talking about and when he was talking about mm-hmm. that you come into the world. Um, a clean slate. He's saying that you essentially come in with no particular character flaws or nothing uh, that's right or wrong about you until you begin to experience your life and then frame it in the context uh, of whatever context you frame it in, right? Uh, but what what struck me about uh, his philosophy was also this idea that so therefore you can author your own soul. So he merged character with soul. Uh, and uh, and that's confusing, and uh, uh, and of course he doesn't talk about the human spirit uh, because he's not talking about uh, spiritual development in this particular in this particular context. So that's why it was a problem for me, and that's why I wanted to talk about it. That um, that it's these kinds of ways that when we merge these things together, that we get confused. Um, and and it's in it's in the same ballpark. Like I, I had a client today, for example, that um uh has been depressed for a long time and has uh has PTSD and 
uh, and the PTSD goes goes back pretty far because she's been trauma she was traumatized pretty young, and then she's had some other things uh, in her present day life, her recent life, where she was also traumatized again, and then she's also living in a a part of the world where there's shootings and there's craziness and and so life is just an unpredictable, uncertain kind of scary place. And one of the things that um, that her counselor is doing with her is telling her that she needs to go back and walk through all of her trauma uh, mm-hmm. and grieve, you know, these experiences. And I, of course, do not agree with that. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. think she needs to. I don't think she needs to walk through because she she's very very depressed, and uh, and and this is just making her even more depressed. And mm-hmm. um, and and so what we're talking about here in, in tonight's show is is that if you come in to this experience without any uh, marks on the page, so to speak, a clean slate, and then you have these different traumas, the body cannot tell the difference between an inside-outside experience, which means the body doesn't know when this is happening. It will go wherever your mind goes, wherever your brain goes. Mm-hmm. So if you are reliving trauma, uh, then you are regressing to an earlier time in your life and you're going through those experiences. And the body doesn't know if you're not back there again, going through them for real. Mm. And so and so, this business of, um, of character and ego and personality um, – it's confusing because people don't understand that the way that we are supposed to be using trauma and adversity is to crack the container that we call ego, mm-hmm. not go back and repolish it and buff it up and restructure it and and regurgitate it. And so I said to her today, I said, you know, it seems to me that your that your challenge is to determine whether your life has been useless adversity or useful adversity. And it's a matter of choosing the usefulness of it because we already know the victimization piece. And and this is a big issue, you know, that um, that if we come into the world a clean slate, as John Locke implies, and that our character is yet to be formed, it seems that many of us are coming in as victims. And, mm-hmm. and, and then we're sitting around and defining uh, this is human suffering and that is not what human suffering is that is psychological suffering uh that's not it's 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 spiritual uh adversity it really only comes in one form and only happens uh one time uh and that is in the beginning <laughs> when you're cut away from the source so um so yeah and so i i think it's worthwhile to kind of dialogue about these things and and to mm-hmm. understand that um some of these ideas, some of these philosophies that are ancient, like this is this this clean slate idea is you know is pretty ancient. It uh, it has value, and it has a place in the psychological understanding of this experience, but it doesn't help us much spiritually. And uh, and, and of course, the soul's intent is is trying to get a a spiritual handle on the on the experience of being human. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to stop for a second and just what's running through your mind. Yeah, well, I have a couple of questions. Um, as far as um, your your client today, your 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 patient today um, with the PTSD, 
and and that made a lot of sense what you what you said what you shared with her. But I'm wondering, say uh, a man that's been in war and is experiencing PTSD from all the violence that he witnessed. How could he use that to work? Well, what we're learning, what what we're learning mm-hmm. about PTSD in general, and and this is a, a good topic in the country because we're we're undergoing PTSD right now with uh, with Donald right. Trump, um, mm-hmm. uh, or, or some form of it anyway, which is the fear right. of the the fear of fear itself and the fear of the unknown and 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 all this paranoia mm-hmm. about what his presidency is going to be about, same kind of thing. Uh, no, one of the things that that one of the treatments that is important in, uh, with PTSD is is that is something that we call in psychology pre-morbid adjustment, and and what I mean by that is where were these individuals spiritually, psychologically, emotionally before the trauma, because that determines uh, how severe the PTSD is, uh, and. And invariably, what we're what we're discovering is is that uh, those people that had some kind of internal connection to something larger than themselves, those people that were uh, a little bit more spiritually inclined, less psychologically entrained, uh, are getting through the PTSD quicker than those folks who were not. So, so the point is is that where we are when we undergo adversity in terms of our emotional and spiritual adjustment determines how quickly we are rehabilitated, how quickly we can come back to some form of normal, whatever that might be. Uh, so so that that's that's key in anybody that you're working with that's undergoing trauma. Uh, in this case, mm-hmm. you know, this this woman's trauma was uh, 30 years ago. Uh, and she's had some recent experiences that have triggered this uh, but she was living a very normal life for many, many, many years and functionally and fully, you know, out in the world and working and functional. And now she's totally debilitated because she's being told that this has re, uh, reinstigated her PTSD. And what it's really reinstigated is her lack of emotional and psychological development. Uh, where she was before she compartmentalized all those experiences. The number one thing that mm-hmm. we do with trauma is we try to normalize it. And if we can pull that off, we put it in a compartment somewhere and hide it until something cracks the egg and brings it back to the surface. And it's, mm. a, just, it's a very normal defense to do is to, uh, is to try to bury and, uh, and to compartmentalize our pain. So, uh, so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but um but it's, yeah. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. So it's um, PTSD and how a person, how severe it becomes, or how a person is experiencing it depends on where they were at before the trauma happened. Before. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't think about it that way. We don't think. I mean, and that's really not just true of PTSD. That's true of any trauma. That's true of anything mm-hmm. that knocks you on your butt. You know, mm-hmm. how you cope with it, how you deal with it has got everything to do with where you were before it happened. And I'm talking psychologically, yeah, psychologically. I'm talking internally, yeah, yeah, spiritually, mm-hmm. psychologically, emotionally, where you were before. And so, which is why it tends to be a wake up moment. 
Because if you end up not being able to handle it very well, then it goes, oh, my gosh, I guess I had some stuff to work on after all, you know. And uh, and that's and that's the that's the reason, you know, uh, for it at some level. And that's what I mean sometimes when I talk about self-correction, you know, trauma in adversity is an opportunity to grow because it can be self-correcting. And um, but it's but then it may also be evolving. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean that if it takes you to a deep place, then you can potentially evolve from it, which means that when you get up on this is Monday, when you get up on Tuesday, the whole world looks different and you can't go back. You can't put up the veil. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't unsee what you've seen. The truth has hit you between the eyes and it's actually OK. <laughs> and and you've changed and you can't go back and be the, uh, be the person you were the day before. Have you ever had that mm-hmm. sensation? Yes. Yeah, I've, been, I've had that sensation <laughs> yes. countless yes, times in my life. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, and uh, and and so that's and, and so that's when you know that you've evolved is when you can't go back mm-hmm. and and even hardly describe the person you were before because it's a blur. Yeah. It's yeah. a blur, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, very true. Something that that stood out in tonight's show is um, the title. And uh, the ego is clay until it becomes hardened ceramic. Mm-hmm. And w- when I was looking at that, I was um, thinking as, uh, you know, a hardened ceramic, what does that mean if we start believing that our ego and our personality is is what we are and we kind of forget the essence and the soul um, awareness yeah. of, of being uh, a human being? Well, that that being hardened then and and believing we're only our personality, we become rigid and inflexible, and it would just make life um, a whole lot harder and a totally different experience than if you do remember that um, we're we're soul in in physical form. Mm-hmm. It makes life harder to become. Well, that, it's the that, you know I, I say all the time that the, that the soul and spirit of of anything is all there is of it, <laughs> and uh, and so in the soul and spirit of who we are is inside a container called personality, and so what we have mm-hmm. is is is, uh, is spiritual beings having psychological experiences is we have a choice to make: uh, am I the contents of this container or am I the container? And. Uh, and it isn't either or, of course, we are both, but then it becomes mm-hmm. which one do I identify with, which one is the dominant, and which one has more station. And, of course, the soul and spirit of who we are should have more station than the psychology of who we are uh, in a culture that reinforces the psychology. Uh, and, yeah. And so, mm-hmm. and so that's, that's part of the problem. And, uh, and there's psychology in all of these institutions and all these constructs that are reinforcing it. There's psychology in religion, mm-hmm. there's psychology in politics, there's psychology mm-hmm. in law and education. Yeah. So so there's there's psychology in everything uh mm-hmm. that we are being exposed to at some level, which is why the soul and spirit of who we are is uh, is really important to hang on to. It really is that old adage of what you see is what you get. Uh, mm-hmm. When you're looking at the soul, that's exactly the truth. What you yeah. can see, yeah. what you can see from the soul's perspective, and what you can see of the soul is exactly what you're going to get. 
There's no, mm-hmm. su- no surprises in that, you know. And, uh, but mm-hmm. when it comes to the ego, you have no idea what you're going to get. Uh, because the ego is a shapeshifter and it changes and adapts and it does whatever it has to do and dependent upon how much shadow and how much disorder it, it possesses, it can be anything and and, mm-hmm. and do anything, you know, because that's, that's its gift, its capacity to shapeshift and, and, uh, and adapt. So, mm-hmm. so I, I think that that one of the things that I was attracted to in this topic tonight was not just so much the idea of clean slate, but the idea of absolutes. You and I have already talked before about uh, the soul's intent and what I'm in, uh, going to be teaching here in the coming months about certain absolutes, about the philosophy that I'm teaching about the human condition, which is coming to me from thousands of my patients. Uh, so it isn't coming, it isn't the world according to Ernie, it's coming from treating a lot of trauma. And in those absolutes, um, this whole business of clean slate kind of popped into my head and I thought, oh yeah, I need to touch on that because if we're going to, if we're going to think that we come into the world uh, clean, and that's the nature nurture uh, philosophy, uh, that uh, really what is clean and uncontaminated and what is uh, then distorted by the experience and the and the answer is the ego uh it, it is it comes in and literally like a sponge uh, uh remembers and stores away like a hard drive everything that we experience and the soul kicks in doing what it does in the beginning it organizes and kind of orchestrates our life for us to see what we need to see and the human spirit and its feeling its way through this experience is provoking the ego to stay present with itself uh, in a culture that doesn't reward it for that. <laughs> so, uh, and of course, the heart's taken offline at that point is the real compass, and so we install the ego as the as the compass, as the lead, so to speak, and then we're kind of trapped into that particular uh, mode of operation. So, so there's nothing clean slate about that. It's quite, it's quite all predictable and programmed uh, mm-hmm. that we're going to come into this existence, spiritual beings, and literally sacrifice that until we decide to change it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was, th- I was thinking um, also before before the show tonight that um, that the external, the society that that we live in, is very much ego based. Mm-hmm. And um, there's not a whole lot <laughs> that can be outwardly seen of soul value. Mm-hmm. There, there, there just isn't. And as I was thinking about that and kind of just um, picturing how uh, the, the society we live in, I was thinking of the Truman Show, uh, the, a movie with, with Jim Carrey where he's adopted as a baby by a uh, uh, movie producer and he only lives on he was raised on the set of a movie <laughs> and lives in a set of of a movie and everything is pretend except him but he doesn't know that he's on the movie set until the end of the movie when he figures <laughs> it all out and that's kind of how I, I see our society sometimes like it's um, a movie set or it's um there's a lot of pretense, and if we were um, living more from the the level of soul, um, it our 
the external would reflect that, and and right now it doesn't. So we do need to evolve. Well, and certainly uh, you say so, and, and certainly I agree with that. And, and the other piece, of course, is is heart. You know that to to reinstall mm-hmm. the heart is the is the compass, is the yeah. key piece of this. But um, it's something you mentioned at the the beginning um, that enlightenment would be um, clarity of the. Sig- subjective experience. Could you expand a little bit more on that? Because I think there's a lot of confusion of what enlightenment is, and I think a lot of spiritual people, that's their goal. Their goal is to reach enlightenment, but I'm not sure they're always... crystal clear on what it is. They think that's the goal. <laughs> yeah. Well, a good yeah. example would be the yeah. client today. She was talking about um about her emotions and and her depression and whatever and she was really you know consumed in her emotions. And so she has lost all kind of faith and trust in her capacity to feel her way through anything. And so um mm-hmm. so when we talk about subjectivity or a subjective experience we're talking about a feeling reaction to the immediate moment and um without contamination. So the words you're not bringing in it'd be like if you had an experience with an attorney <laughs> and it was a bad experience. Uh if you leave it up to the ego, the ego will say all attorneys suck. And the next time you meet another attorney, you're going to have a preconceived idea about what the experience is going to be like because of the past experience. That's what the ego does. If you feel your way through it, you're going to give this new attorney a clean slate and a fresh mm-hmm. place to begin. Mm-hmm. And so that's the yeah. difference. That's the difference between feeling and emoting. If you emote, if you if you store away the emotion, uh, well, let's say st- store away the feeling uh, of a bad experience. And then set it set it to memory. It has now become an emotion. And then, as soon as you recall it and bring it back up, once you meet another person that makes you think of the person that you just met, uh, you're not feeling your way through. You're emoting your way through again. And so you don't know where you stop and start, and where that person stops and starts. And so, so this clarity of subjectivity is really that is is that you know if you are a subjective animal and you are and and if there is a unique uh, subjective experience to be you then uh, or to be behind your eyes so to speak then how clear is your vision and how contaminated is it by emotional material you see the more emotional material you've got the less clear it is so your subjectivity becomes uh, not very enlightened. <laughs> so, uh, um, if that makes any sense. Well, yeah. So the example you you just gave of the attorney, and if you had um, bad experiences with attorneys in the past, and then you're now dealing with a new attorney that you're going to kind of project that over over this attorney without you know so 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 they wouldn't get a clean slate. But as you were saying that, I was thinking, wouldn't it be great if if we could give ourselves a clean slate every yeah. day? Yeah, because we're talking about a yeah. form. Of, yeah, we're talking about a form of prejudice. Exactly. Well, mm-hmm. yeah. If, if and you judgment. Turn, yeah. yeah. If you turn this in on yourself, exactly. I mean, one of the biggest yeah. biggest issues that we have is uh, as human beings is self-judgment and self-blame and mm-hmm. self-loathing. Those are the mm-hmm. those are the three things that we struggle with, and um, 
so yeah, being kinder and gentler to ourselves is is really the uh, the benefit of doing spiritual work, learning how to do that and getting some sense of that. But um, but as far as the enlightenment goal, um, <clears throat> I feel like that becoming enlightened is being less encumbered. I mean, I literally interpret the word as uh, in, in kind of a, like a weight scale, you know, that you are heavy and you are you are burdened with um, you know the blood, sweat, and tears of your life and from that burden that has been your life has come a weight. And um, most of us want to rid ourselves of the weight. We want to hold on to the experiences and get the wealth and the depth of the experience, but we want to be, we want to lighten the load, so to speak, of the weight of it all. Mm-hmm. And that literally is what enlightenment is to me, is it's becoming unencumbered. Uh, to anything in our lives that is keeping us tethered to a false version of ourselves, uh, whether it be so psychologically, the, yeah, whether it's inside of us or outside of us, either way, it, I mean, to me, they're the same animal. You can be tethered mm-hmm. to something outside or tethered to something inside. It's still tethered. Mm-hmm. And so, enlightenment to me is being able to that if you if you can imagine that that you that the soul uh, or that your body was a balloon. Uh, that that had a string hanging off the end of it, and, and that string is tied uh, to this earth and tethered to this earth by gravity and by whatever you're tethered to. That the that your real natural state is to cut that string and, and float. Uh, <laughs> and this is really where the soul is. I mean, the soul wants to just uh, float in this existence and be what it is mm-hmm. intended to be, and, and to be free in that in that in that uh, environment, so to speak. And but yet we are tethered mm-hmm. by and constricted by personality or or by preconceived or preconditioned ideas of what we're supposed to be. And that, and that and of course, makes it, makes it a problem. Yeah. Like, like, yeah. like the, no, I, mean, I think it was Eric Fromm that said, and I said this the other night, I'm going to say it again, because I, I just think it's, it's really cool to say it. And that is, is that human beings are the only species on the planet that really come into this existence without a problem, but come up with one. <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, so in other words, they struggle with being what they are. Uh, and we're the only species on the planet that does. Mm-hmm. No other species struggles with what it is. We would prefer to be something else. We don't know what, <laughs> but we prefer to be something else than what we are. And by that I mean, hmm. and by that I mean, we we prefer to be somebody else's life, or we prefer to uh, to be a different person than we are. We prefer, you know, we we're we're not happy with what we are. Well, isn't part. that where um, a lot of the, <laughs> um, I mean, the, how our uh, technology has evolved? For example, a lot of that is. Um, it's it's uh we're driven we're driven to become something other than what we are we're there's there's a drive there well i don't and again this is i'm, I'm trying to bring this out with the soul's intent is you know what are we really you know i mean uh, uh, who are we really and and where are we and when are we and and why are we 
These are basic fundamental questions that many human beings cannot answer. And uh, and I think that, that certainly the, the work that I'm doing and the work that I've done with trauma has given me answers to these questions that are valid and are, and are worth knowing uh, uh, and that are life-changing if you understand them and incorporate them into your, into your line of thinking and into your daily lives. I mean, it's just that big a deal uh, to be able mm-hmm. to answer these very simple questions about who and what and why and where we are. And when we are, because the, that's an interesting question. When are you? You know, and, and 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 instead of walking up to somebody and saying, "Hello, my name is Ernie. Who are you?" Uh, wouldn't it be great to walk up to somebody and say, "Hello, my name is Ernie. When are you?" <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the okay. first. Thing- yeah, the first reaction would be, "Huh, what?" You know, it's a, and 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 what's the question really asking? Is is it well? Right now, it's November fourteenth, two thousand sixteen. When are you? And have you really stopped and thought? You know, where on the proverbial developmental calendar did you stop? When did you get out of sync with real time? Because most of us are most of us are living in the past. And so if people were answering honestly, well, if you really want to know the truth, I'm, I'm, I'm January the, uh, the 4th, uh, 1997. If you actually pin people down, they have a date. And, and, the, and there's, a, there's a reason. That's when my wife left me. That's when I got fired from my job. That's when I was diagnosed with cancer. When my son was lost in a car accident. People have these moments. Mm-hmm. So to ask the question, when are you, is a profound question. When you consider that many of us are not living in this moment, and we have lost ourselves uh, to a different time, and uh, and don't even realize that we've done that because we're on automatically, and and we're defending ourselves, of course, against this this concept of when are we really? And uh, it's important to understand that the soul's intent uh, is a philosophy and is a teaching. Is to uh, is to teach us that we have a very sacred and profound relationship with time, and uh, many of us are playing catch up on that idea, uh, and we're only just given so much of it that we shouldn't be wasting a whole lot, right? But we but we're you know we already know that some of it's kind of built in, some of the waste is built in because we have to. You know, start out naive and grow into it. I used to say jokingly that I thought it was unfair that we we should just come in the world just enlightened and intelligent as hell and just get dumber with age. <clears throat> but instead, it's the other way around. <laughs> we come in totally naive and vulnerable and dependent, and literally have to claw our way to some sense of understanding of what this is about. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. So we have a sacred. How did you put it? A sacred. Um, I think I connection? said a, yeah, a sacred and special relationship with time. Yeah, with time. Yeah, and we end up uh, wasting it because we get tethered or stuck or attached. Because to... we because we're we're only looking at it from uh, over our shoulder. We're only, we're only looking at it from hindsight's twenty twenty because somebody sold us the idea that that's perfect vision. 
Mm-hmm. And we never stopped and considered that while we're looking at the past, we're bumping into stuff because our eyes are looking back, not forward. Mm-hmm. And so so we're not really – if our eyes are not forward, then hindsight isn't isn't helping us much. So we have to have our eyes forward, which means moving forward for hindsight to be 2020. And so most of us are looking at hindsight, but we're not getting the perfect vision from it. And so we're therefore living and stuck in the past mm-hmm. uh, and not really being so, able to, you know, to be in the present and worrying about the future as a result of that. Yeah. So what would one's life experience be like if they were aware of their their sacredness with time? Well, what, I think would one... I think the uh, your uh, the length of of um, I, I used an analogy with you one time about about your headlights on a on a country road uh, that if you put your headlights on bright that your lights will shine out far enough for you to see, you know, several hundred feet in front of you. And then once you get beyond how far the lights shine, you then trust uh, beyond and in the darkness. I think what happens when you get clarity and begin to grow hindsight into insight into foresight is, is that you begin to see further down the road. And in many respects, you begin to see uh, your life from an aerial view. Uh, mm-hmm. You can you can be above it and see it from a, from a different perspective. Not just be in the vehicle that is your life, but be above it as the observer as well. So that's how it mm-hmm. changes. I mean, you you literally get to a place of um, being able to see your life in its entirety and see that it really looks like it's by design. Rather than random chance, mm-hmm. which is what many of us think. So really, the concept of of time would would change with that clarity. The concept of time. So well, what happens? Uh, we, can't, we, we can't mm-hmm. change our, our uh, the Earth's rotation around the sun. That's pretty much a given. But we can slow down. We know this. We can slow down uh, the atoms in our body, and so we can slow down uh, our system. And if you look at if you took a picture of an atom and took a picture of a cell in the body, they look a lot like the galaxy. Right? You've got the nucleus and you've got you know all the different pieces around the nucleus. So in other words, we can slow the body down, and so we can slow time down uh, in the body itself. And mm-hmm. and this and which is the opposite of stress, which is speeds everything up. Mm-hmm. So the more the more we begin to embrace the present for what it is, stop fretting about the past and worrying about the future, time's working for us now instead of against us. And we have, we've lowered the friction uh, in our own physical health, really, um, mm-hmm. if, we, if we're able to pull that off at some level. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm I'm thinking too, you know, what, what causes uh stress in people's lives, of course it's all kinds of different things, but the fact that the majority of us are not um present <laughs> in in this moment, um 
that, just that one thing, without adding all the other different stressors in life, but just that one thing adds stress because we're not kind of moving moment to moment to moment, like an unfolding, like a, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a peaceful unfolding. That's when you're very present, then it's moment to moment. And <clears throat> most of us function where we're, I don't know, uh, you know, a hundred steps ahead of ourselves. So we're not really with ourselves. <laughs> yeah. And that, that just that one thing causes a great amount of um, stress mm-hmm. in, in life. Yes. Well, I think I think the one of the myths that we that that was that we sell in the consciousness enlightenment movement is that you're trying to get to a place of of euphoria and pure contentment and whatever. This is a great thing to sell to the to the wealthy, <laughs> but the, the general population, which is most of us, uh, have to deal with the realities of life at a different level. We're in the trenches of life. We're dealing with the friction mm-hmm. and the day-to-day realities in a whole different kind of way. And and so mm-hmm. so what is the what is the goal really in spiritual work or uh, in this business of becoming conscious? Well, it's not is to get um, get to a place where you're not working against life and that you're working in sync with it. And then the friction mm-hmm. the friction moves you along. You know, that's the point. Yeah. You know, I say yeah. I say a lot to people that um, in this existential idea that we are supposed to move through four developmental stages in, in our adult life that begins at adolescence, uh, late late adolescence, young adult, midlife, and old age. We're supposed to move those, those developmental stages, um, and they are and they are to be consistent with our chronological age. Well, we're way off sync. This is where we are. I mean, we're not people in their forties are still dealing with stuff that happened when they were adolescents and when they were young adults. They haven't they haven't grown uh, into their into their developmental stage that they that they are to be in, and this is part of the problem, you know. That uh, from a spiritual standpoint, we're trying to to bypass the all that psychological material and just kind of make a quantum leap if we if we can into enlightenment and consciousness, or to some happy place, and um, you can't do that. You can't bypass some of these developmental stages that you have to go through. And the psychological piece is a, is a very important one. It's probably one of the most misunderstood, really, of all the other pieces. If someone um, were to um, turn towards your, your teachings for help, a big part would be helping them get stationed to where they're at right now. Yeah, I can give I can give people I can give people a map. I mean, that's what the that's what the introduction yeah. to the show says, you know, that I can boldly boldly claims that I can tell you where you are in your spiritual path. Well, I can I can do that, but it isn't some mm-hmm. it isn't some parlor trick. It's uh it's a way of uh, of taking a picture of your insides and a picture of your life that kind of gives you a map of where you are in this process of personal and spiritual mm-hmm. growth. So, yeah.
Which is really, really important because how can a person move forward if they don't know where they're at? They have yeah. to know where they're at first. Yeah, yeah it's a starting yeah. point. Yeah. What I wanted the listeners to get is is that the one thing that is absolute is that you are a spiritual being having psychological experiences. And philosophy has said that you come into the world a clean slate. But what that really means is that you come in authentically and true and in real time and with the capacity for presence and the gift of presence, but you become a character. And what that character is, is your personality. And in that Mm -hmm. personality, uh, our defense mechanisms and false ideas and false identifications and and so that real true valid eternal place that you came from uh, isn't isn't realized with just for a brief period of time those first two or three years of your life and then get uh, put on automatic as you start adapting mm-hmm. and so I and so I want the listeners to to kind of get the idea that if you had a choice between your soul's intent which is to be fully in this existence, incarnate, embodied, and alive, or your ego's intent, which is to be in this existence afraid of being afraid, Mm -hmm. uh, it's an easy choice to make. I'd prefer not to be an ego that's afraid of being afraid. Thank you for being a part of The Soul's Intent with author, psychologist, and spiritual teacher, Ernie Vecchio. This is the show that can open your mind to things you never thought possible. While problems manifest psycho-spiritually, on a most essential level, there exists an energy component that provides the instructions for these fields to enter awareness. And the soul's intent is here to help you learn what these instructions are. Join us each week to learn how there is a physical place of love, truth, and freedom, and how in an instant learn that moving to such a place is actually a choice.